take your Bibles. Bring your Bibles. Bring them one. You may, may be leather and paper, may be electronic, but bring a Bible with you. If you don't have a Bible, we'll get one for you. Turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 41 this morning. Genesis chapter 41. If you've been with us for some weeks, you know that we've been looking in the later part of the book of Genesis. Centuries ago, centuries ago, a young man named Joseph who we have called the dreamer, received a God-given dream. In that dream, in that dream that Joseph had, that God gave him, in that dream, he dreamt that his family would bow down to him. He didn't know why they would bow down. He didn't know when they would bow down, but he knew that, that God had spoken to him and had showed him, had revealed to him Something in the future, some event in the future, the why and the when still unanswered. And we know that as we've studied this in recent weeks, for the, the next 13 years, for the 13 years that followed that dream, Joseph experienced betrayal and he experienced slavery and slander and false accusation and imprisonment. For 13 years, we know that Joseph was profoundly shaped and prepared in part because he had that dream. And then, on one amazing day, after the king of Egypt had a dream that no one could explain, Joseph was summoned from prison. Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream. It was, it was a miracle. It was a God thing. I feel like we just need to pause for just a moment. And I'm not exactly sure why, but I just want to pray. All right? Would you do this with me? Because I feel like there's something that is happening that we just need to, we just need to, to claim the Lord's presence. Lord, I'm not exactly sure what is happening right now, but I pray that you would be glorified, that nothing would distract us, that nothing would disturb us in spirit from what you want to do. And so, Lord, we just sense this, but we, we claim the authority that is upon us in the name of Jesus, that our hearts would be fixed upon you. Lord, speak to us again from your word today. We commit it to you, Lord. This is your these are your people. This is your word. Speak to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So here's, here's Joseph. And, and he is interpreting this dream. It is a miracle. He had no advanced information of what was about to happen or what the king was about to tell him. But when he tells him, uh, Joseph immediately has the interpretation. He immediately knows what, what is, is, is going to happen. In that interpretation, God was telling Pharaoh that for the next seven years, there would be an unprecedented harvest in Egypt. Joseph, through this interpretation, telling him what God had revealed in this dream, told him that for the next seven years, there's going to be so much harvest that it's going to come to the point that you're going to be able to stop, you're, you're going to be unable to count and to measure how much there is. 
the, the, the instruction added to that was that they were to save 20% of every good year's harvest for those seven years because in the seven years that followed the good years, those years were going to be full of crop failure and famine and deprivation and incredible hardship. So much so that the seven years, seven bad years are going to make people forget about the seven good years. God was giving these very clear directions of what they were to do. For 13 years, Joseph had been waiting. He'd been wondering why the dream had not yet happened. But now suddenly, in one amazing day, in one remarkable day, God reveals what is going to happen for the next 14 years. It was a God thing. It was miraculous. It was beyond the natural. It was supernatural. I want to insert something here, and that is we see here in the book of beginnings, that's what Genesis means, we see here in the book of Genesis a biblical precedent for saving in the good times in anticipation of the bad times. Now, I need to tell you that this message is not about stewardship. It's not about, you know, being careful with finance. But we see here in God's Word the importance of saving in good times because bad times are coming. Now, I'm not, I'm not predicting the future. Please understand. I'm not saying there's going to be a large ec- economic meltdown or this is what's going to happen. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to do that because I don't know. But I do know that for every person who's here today, there are going to be some tough financial times ahead. It may be it for any number of things. And I encourage you from this biblical precedent to set aside money. And you say, well, I don't have very much. Just set aside some in the, in the good times. Don't spend it all. Set it aside. And, and, and then in the, in the difficult times, you'll have that. You'll say, well, why don't I just trust God? Well, God, you can trust God in the good times too. So just, I'm just going to throw that in. You see this biblical precedent. So here's, here's Joseph on this remarkable, amazing day. And in this one encounter, God gave favor to Joseph. In the span of one day, in the span of just one day from sunup to sundown, Joseph went from being a prisoner in the king's dungeon to becoming the second most powerful man in the nation. Can you imagine what it would be like if you were to, if you were to wake up someday and you were to turn on the news and you found out that the day before, a guy who had been serving life in prison for attempted rape was now the vice president of the country. How many would think, man, that's kind of weird? It'd kind of shake you up. But that's essentially what happened. Now, he wasn't serving time for rape or even attempted rape. It was slander. We know that. He was innocent. But he went from one extreme to the other in the span of one day. I want you to understand through that that God... God can accomplish more in a person's life in one day than that person could accomplish in a lifetime, in a lifetime trying, of trying without God. God's favor is such a valuable thing. God can do more in your life in one moment when you yield yourself to him than you could accomplish in an entire lifetime of trying without God. There's so many examples of this in Scripture where people who, 
who were trying to do something in their own power, in their own strength, in their own connections, in their own manipulation, and it doesn't work, but then God puts a person in the right place at the right time and amazing things happen. I want you to understand that if you are in the favor of God, God can open doors that no one else can open and he will close doors that no one else could ever close. God's favor is an amazing thing. I encourage you. I encourage you to pray for God's favor. It's a great story in the book of Nehemiah. I won't go through all of that, but in, in Nehemiah, he, he, he was burdened by something, and, and he knew that he needed to go before the king and make a request, and he made this prayer. He said, God, give me favor today before this man. That tells me that we can pray for God's favor. I encourage you to pray for God's favor, to walk in God's favor. So, in Genesis chapter 41, you're turned there in your Bibles, verse 40, excuse me, verse 53, Joseph's story continues. The seven years, it says, the seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands, but in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. Verse 55, when all of the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all of the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians for the, the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Now look at verse 57 in your Bibles, because it's, it's very key to understanding God's, God's greater plan beyond Egypt. It says this, Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain, because the famine was severe over all the earth. Uh, you understand that what was happening was not just local, it was not just regional, uh, regional it, was, it was over the then known world, it was, it was over an enormous area. I want to add this as well, and I'm adding in a lot of things as we're going through this text, but, but I want to add in that, that sometimes when we look at God's plan, we, think, we can sometimes think that it's only all about us, that, that it, it has to include the, the just, just me as an individual, and while we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, God desires to do a work beyond just the individual, God desires to do a work not only in you, but in people around you. And when God does a work in one person, it can affect not only their immediate area, but people around the world. Some of you are trusting God for many things. Some of you, God has given a very clear dream. He's planted something in your heart. But let me tell you something. It's not just about you. He has a plan that is beyond you. Now, verse 42, chapter 42, verse 1. When Jacob, that's Joseph's father, when Jacob, back in Canaan, learned that there was grain for sale in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you look at one another? And he said, behold, I have heard that there is grain for sale in Egypt. Go down and buy grain for us there that we may live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain in Egypt, but Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, by the way, that's his full brother there. He had a lot of half-brothers. 
Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with his brothers, for he feared that harm might happen to him. Thus the sons of Israel came to buy among the others who came, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Now, before we read any further, I want to remind you of Joseph's timeline. This is very important. Joseph's timeline. The Bible says that Joseph was about 17 years old when God gave him that dream. At age 30 was when he was delivered to removed from prison and elevated to the second most powerful man in the nation. That's 13 years. From age 17 to age 30. Very, very difficult years in which he served either as a slave or as a prisoner. And then there were seven good years, and we know that this was the second year of the bad years. Why do I establish that timeline? Because I want you to understand that this means that it has been 21 or 22 years from the time that Joseph was given the dream. 21 or 22 years separate Joseph's dream from verse 6. That's a very long time. 21 or 22 years, he's now, by their reckoning, a middle-aged person. 21 or 22 years have gone from that 17-year-old, bright-eyed, futures-looking-pretty-great young man to now this man who's experienced much and suffered much. That is a very long time. And here's how verse 6 reads. Now, Joseph was governor over the land. He was the one who sold to all the people of the land. And Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Let's read the last part of that again. Joseph's brothers came and bowed themselves before him with their faces to the ground. Now, these guys did not know that this powerful man was their brother. They didn't know this was Joseph. 21, 22 years is a long time. You can change a lot in that time. They didn't know that this was their brother, and they wouldn't know this was their brother for some time. They assumed Joseph had died as a slave years before. To them, Joseph was little more than a sad and regrettable memory. But that day, that day, when they bowed before Joseph, when they came in and they assembled themselves and they bowed before Joseph, that day, Joseph's God-given dream from years before was fulfilled. God has given some of you dreams. God has given some of you dreams. God has spoken some things into some of you. He has revealed some things to some of you. He has called some of you to things that are far beyond what you would have ever done on your own. God called you. God has spoken things into you that have become the driving thing in your life. Parts of every day are devoted to the pursuit of that God given dream. My question to you this morning 
is are you willing to persevere and trust God as you wait for Him to fulfill your God-given dream? Some weeks ago, we talked about how temptation could have destroyed the dream. Bitterness could have destroyed the dream. Um, Time, uh, rejection of God, anger at God could have destroyed the dream. For Joseph, how about for you? What has God spoken into your life that he wants you to do or wants you to become Will you persevere? For Joseph, he found the fulfilled dream was not so much about someone's submission, but someone's survival. Think of this. Here he is, he's standing before these men. All of a sudden, they drop to their knees, they bow before him, thinking that this is just some powerful person in Egypt, the governor, the most powerful person other than the king in the country. But as as Joseph sees this, as he recognizes this, I believe that he realized suddenly it came true to him that this is not so much about them submitting themselves to me as their own survival. That God had a plan that was greater than just one person's dream. That the fulfillment of the dream wasn't simply my family giving service to me, but me helping my family survive. Throughout these messages, I've shared how one of the common elements of God-given dreams is how they involve many people and not just the dreamer. That it affects others, the people around you. That it's not just about you, that God has a greater plan through that God-given dream. That means that if If the dream that he's given you involves a great deal of financial means, it's not simply so that you can enjoy it. That's really immaterial. It's that God will use you and that you will use those resources for his glory. That if God gives you some degree of influence or power, that it's not simply so that you will receive the accolades of other people or the acclaim of other people, but so that God can use that for His glory. If God has placed you in some area of influence, that it's not for you to get the attention, but for Him to get the attention. It was never about His family just giving service to Him. It was about Him helping His family survive. Before we go on, I need to give a word of explanation about the chapters that follow this scene. There's much more to this story. This morning, time does not permit me to cover every detail. You can read it later. It's it's a fascinating account. You can read it. it, There's a lot to it. There's a lot of intrigue. There's a lot of of suspense in the chapters that follow. But in chapters 42, 43, and 44, I want you to know that there are two things that are very apparent in Joseph's brothers. Two things in those chapters come back again and again. First of all, is their high regard for their family. 
their high regard for their family. Years earlier, when Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery and told their father that a wild animal had killed him and that Joseph was done, they didn't care about Joseph's well-being and they didn't care about their father's broken heart. <laughs> when, when, they, when they threw their brother into that pit, they didn't do it gently and they really didn't care. When they sold him for money to the slave traders and saw him head off into the distance into slavery in Egypt, they didn't didn't worry about his well-being. When they went back to their father and told him this made-up story about the wild animal, they couldn't care less about their father's broken heart. They they probably thought, well, it serves him right. He He showed favoritism towards Joseph. They didn't care about him. Yet now, 21, 22 years later in these chapters, you see them, you see these brothers, these same brothers protecting their brothers and guarding their father's heart. You can read it later, and you'll see this again and again. They, something has happened. Something has happened with, within these men in those years. The second thing that you'll see in those chapters, 42, 43, and 44, is their deep regret for what they did to Joseph decades earlier. For example, Genesis chapter 42, verse 21 reads this way, the brothers said to one another, in truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. The way that they responded is so very different from years earlier. And why are these differences important? Why why do I even point that out? Because while God had shaped and prepared and changed Joseph in those 20 years, God had also changed Joseph's brothers. Just as God had been working, and we know his story because a lot of it is recorded here in the book of Genesis. We know a lot of his story and how God had been working on Joseph, but you can also be sure that God was working on all of those brothers at the same time. Their their story is largely not recorded. If you're taking notes this morning, if you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write this down. That is, the Savior who heals the wounded can also heal those who inflicted the wounds. Again, the Savior who heals the wounded can also heal those who inflicted the wounds. There are some of you here this morning, and I know it because in recent weeks you've come up to me and you've said things like this, I really connect with Joseph's story. I've not gone through everything that he's gone through, of course, but boy, there's elements of his story that I can really relate to. I know what it's like to be falsely accused or rejected. I know what it's like to to face incarceration. I know what it's like to to be in such an obscure place that I'm thinking that no one knows where I'm at. A lot of you have really connected with Joseph. And God has done, I believe, a healing in many of you as you've heard his story and see how he responded and see what God did. I believe that what God did in Joseph, God has done in many of you. There are some of you here this morning that you can look and back in your past and, and you can see how God has touched you. But I want you to also understand that what God has done in you, God can do in other people, even the person who wounded you, the person who hurt you. Don't raise your hands. 
But how many here have ever been abused, hurt, wounded by another person or persons? How many here have faced something that, that even now, years later, it's very, very difficult to speak about? Things that, that happened to you, that, or, or maybe some things that did not happen and should have happened. And you were wounded. And yet God has done a healing work in you. I want you to also understand that what God has done in you, God can do in them and perhaps already has done in them. And some of you are, and and I've had, again, others who've said things like, it's not that easy. It's not even possible for me to extend grace or to pray for another person. It's not not easy. The offense was so great. The, The wounds were so deep. The years have been so many that I I just don't know if God can ever change my heart towards those persons who did that to me. And, and And I don't minimize what happened to you. Perhaps the offense was great and the, the, the wounds were deep and, and, and the years have been many. But please know that the same Holy Spirit who has worked on you can also work on them. That the same Holy Spirit who did a, has done a powerful work and is doing a powerful work in you is perhaps also doing a powerful work in them. Many years ago, Actually, a couple of decades ago, I was close with some people, with a person who um, wounded me deeply. He was a person of great influence. He was a person who was really a life changer for many. And because of what he did, the choices he made, it deeply affected some people who were very close to me, and I picked up an offense. He didn't hurt me directly. He didn't go out of his way to wound me, but I was wounded because he wounded some people around me. For a number of months, I had to pray and really seek God, and every time I would go to prayer, every time I would go to receive communion, I, it, would, it would bother me and, and I would have to pray through some things and I would give it to the Lord and, and then it would come back. And I, I had a way of, maybe you've done this, the wound was so severe, so deep that um, I began to, to demonize that person. By that I mean make them look like the worst person that ever lived. And in my mind, if, you, if I were to define a person who was horribly destructive, I would, I would picture this man. And, 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 and he became, in my spirit, just one of the, the most despicable persons that I'd ever known. We can do that if we dwell on something. We can make someone into something that they're really not. But the Lord really began to deal with me, and it was a powerful thing that God did in my life, and, and by his grace, I was able to forgive and give it to the Lord. And, and, and over the course of months, God did a healing work in me. There's more to the story, but time went by. And, and actually, several years went by. God, one day, it was just, it was gone. I, I had no 
hard feelings toward the person, even though what he did wounded me deeply. God had healed me. God had done a wonderful work in me. He had done a wonderful work in the people around me. He had used me to be a part of that healing. And it was really a wonderful thing, and I thank God for it. Years went by, and one day I'm at a place, and suddenly I look up, and there is that man. That man that I had, had turned in, in, for a time, had turned into one of the worst persons that I'd ever known. And there was that man. And I talked with him. I had no ill feeling toward him. I, 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 had, no, I had no anger, no issues with that person. And I found him to be delightful. God had done in those years between the offense and this occasion, God had done an amazing work in his life just as he had done an amazing work in my life. I found the man to be delightful and humble and broken and healed and useful. He's my friend today. I share that story because I want you to understand that Sometimes we go through these times when we're wounded by someone, but the same Lord who heals you can perhaps also heal them if they're willing. The Savior who heals the wounded can heal those who inflicted the wounds. Do you know one of the reasons why gossip and slander are so destructive is because what we say is often based upon something that was said or done years ago. You ever talk about something or someone that did something a long time ago? (laughs) Somebody says to you, do you know so-and-so? Oh, yeah, I know them. Back in 73, let me tell you what they did. You ever do that? Somebody says, you know, this person has become my friend, and you say to them, stay away from them. 25 years ago, I'll tell you, let me tell you what that person did. And we base our, sometimes, our opinions or our feelings towards something about someone on something that was done so many years ago, but maybe God forgave them years ago. Maybe God restored them and healed them years ago. Try this. How about, how about instead of talking about them or reliving in your mind what they did or said, pray for them? Well, there's a novel idea. Pray for them. The person who wounded you, you may not have any contact with them. You may never see them for, uh, again for the rest of your life. And maybe you're, there's a little party that's okay with that. And that may be fine. But you can still pray for them. Do you pray for that person or do you still just relive what they did? I encourage you, pray for them. Bring them to the Lord. At first, I promise you, it's going to be difficult. I know, I've experienced it. It's difficult to bring it. It's difficult to say, Lord, bless them today. Help them today. Draw them closer to you today. Make them into something that more resembles you today. Guard my heart and heal my heart. But God, help them today. I may never see them again, but Lord, touch them today. You start praying that, and God will not only do a work in you, but he may very well do a work in them. That's the power of prayer. So here's this man, Joseph. We've seen so much of his story, and by the way, I want you to join us next week. We're going to finish up the story Joseph. We're going to receive communion and we're going to see the connection between what Joseph went through and what Jesus went through.
And I want you to join us next week, but, but I want us to, to look at what, what is God telling us here. First of all, through this miracle, God saved his people from starvation. God had a greater plan. It was more than just Joseph. It was also about his family and the survival of his family. God has a great plan for your life, but it's not just about your life. For Joseph, it was more than just about saving people from starvation, but it was also about God healing relationships. God heals relationships. Relationships are so important that when someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He responded this way, I paraphrase. He said, the greatest commandment is this, that you love God, the Lord your God, with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength, with everything in you. He said, the second is like it, that you also love your neighbor as yourself. He's talking about the horizontal, excuse me, the vertical relationship, our relationship with God and how it affects our relationship on the horizontal level, our relationship with other people. That's how important that healed relationships is to Jesus. When he was teaching his disciples how to pray, he said, pray this way. Father, forgive us. That's vertical. Father, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who've sinned against us. That's horizontal. That's how important relationships are to him. This morning, perhaps there is someone, someone that you know, someone that you have walked with, someone that you have lived with, someone that you have ministered beside, someone that you know, and and yet, There's something there between you, and I tell you that God wants to do a work in your heart, and God wants to heal your relationships. It may be a husband, a wife, a parent, a sibling, a child, an ex-husband, an ex-wife, an employer. It may be a former teacher. It may be an abuser. It It may be any number of things, but I want to tell you that God is the healer, not only of bodies, but also of relationships. And while the story of Joseph, while the story of Joseph is about God's plan for his people to survive, it's also a story about God's plan for a family to be healed. Is there a family member, physical family, relational family, or family of God? Is there a family member whom you're estranged? and you need healing, I believe God can do that today or begin that healing today. I'd like you to stand with me, please. These closing moments of this service, and we've had a lot happening in this service today, been a lot of things more than usual because of the time of year. But before we leave this place, I... and, and all the other things that are going to be happening throughout the day begin to distract us and pull us away from this moment. Before we do that, I'd like to pray with you. Would you please fix in your mind the face of a person who you once had a relationship with that's been damaged? 
I want you, if at all possible, even fix in your mind the face of that person who perhaps wounded you, and we're going to pray for them. You didn't expect that this morning. You're thinking, Joseph, survival. And here this pastor's talking about healing relationships. Joseph and his brothers, separated by 21, 22 years, finished their lives caring deeply for each other, willing to give their very lives on behalf of their family. And I believe what God be- did then, God can do now. And so, Lord, in these final moments of this service, before we leave this place, before we go out into this world that is lost without you and taking a plan of salvation to them, before we do that, before we face the challenges of this coming week and difficulties that await us, Lord, we pause and we ask that you will do a healing work in our relationships. That person, that man, that woman who wounded, we pray for them today. We ask that they will know you like they've never known you before. We ask that you will direct others into their lives to lead them to you or back to you. Perhaps, Lord, the healing that we're praying for happened a long time ago. So therefore, we ask your blessing upon them and that you will use them and that you will enrich them in your giftings in the ways in which you want to use them. Lord, perhaps the person who wounded us who wounded us has died. They're no longer around. But Lord, will you then do a healing within us as we release that to you? For the rest of our lives, we may remember what was done, but we can go the rest of our lives without holding on to what was done and being repeatedly wounded by it. So Lord, help us to pray. When the enemy attempts to defeat us again in the coming days, because I know how this works, Lord, I preach it and the enemy tries to stop it. We understand something from Scripture like we didn't understand before and the enemy tries to abort it. So, Lord, when those come, I pray your holy protection upon us. I pray, Jesus, for a healing of relationships among people here today far beyond this place, far beyond us, and that the grace of which we sing, the grace of which we speak, would be the grace in which we live. May we be people of grace. Your healing, we pray. And now, Lord, as we leave this place, may you go in the power of your Holy Spirit. May we go, Lord, with your your name on our lips, your Holy Spirit empowering us. May we love you with everything in us. May we love others as we love ourselves. And may we take the good news of Jesus Christ out to a world that is lost without you. 
pray, Lord, that you would use us in ministry to all ages, ministry to children, even as maybe we make connection in just a moment here with a way that you can use us. Lord, however it is and with whomever it is, may we be used of you. Your blessing upon us, we pray, and we thank you. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. If you believe it, say amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And please know these altars are open if you want to come and spend some additional time with the Lord. Please come. God bless you this morning. God bless you richly.